We'd Like a Word. Welcome to part three of this episode of We'd Like a Word about how to become a children's author and illustrator with me, Paul Waters. And me, Stephen Colgan. On this programme, we have the amazing Julia Donaldson, who we've been hearing from already, and we'll be hearing more from her. But we're recording this inside the writer's and artist's den of writer and artist, Ted Chaplin. Who is here. Hello. Now, we were saying just now that Julia's kind of at the top of her game and has been for quite a few years now, children's laureate and all that sort of thing. You're moving into her area. Now, you've got a very successful career in, in CGI and working in movies and things like that, but you're now stepping out of your comfort zone into the world of published illustrated books. It's a bit scary. What made you want to do it? It's the first question I want to ask. Um, well, the absolute love of storytelling and creating characters. I've been a character artist all my all my career, making different characters, bringing them to life, making them move, studying facial movements. And I think all artists have just got this burning desire just to sit there and doodle and draw constantly and create things. And when you've worked in a storytelling medium like film and TV, it becomes quite natural to want to create your own stories at some point. I was going to say, that's the big thing, isn't it? Because when you're working in films, you're always animating or working with other people's ideas and stories. And it's wanting to do your own that that is a burning thing isn't it i understand that completely the thing that you're working on at the minute the new thing the kind of secret project which probably has its own code name which we can't disclose or we would never leave here alive on one part of the wall there are various characters the two main characters and one of them is a a creature and it's a little bit sloth like it's not a sloth but it's quite sloth like and it's very cute and furry and this is kind of the main character of this new series you're doing. If I was publishing books for six, seven-year-olds, I'd be, I'd be quite keen on publishing that. He is very, he is very cute because he's. I mean, it's quite obviously not an Earth species, but um, yeah, he's reminiscent of of many different cute animals. I like him. You've somehow. Um, I don't know, researched and gathered, or her, or it. I have no idea. Gathered all the cuteness from various other things and combined it. Oh, it's distilled cuteness, is that Yeah, distilled cuteness, I like that. That can can be project distilled cuteness. We want to get some gossip from you about your time, you know, Indiana Jones, Captain Scarlet was another one, and Aardman, and all the various, Andy Serkis, all the various things you've worked on. But first, let's hear a bit more of Julia Donaldson. This is another question from Janice we mentioned earlier. She was saying, do you think there's still a place for classics like Enid Blyton's Famous Five or Kenneth Graham's Wind in the Willows? Yes, I wouldn't actually, I wouldn't call a Famous Five. But I mean, they're they're very popular, aren't they? The Enid Blyton books are still very, seem to be very popular. Uh, The Wind in the Willows, yes, I mean, it is the language is perhaps a bit difficult for today's children. I think if it's read aloud, you know, perhaps slightly older children by a parent, then yes, definitely. And definitely, you know, Winnie the Pooh. Um, my children loved the William books by Richmond Crompton. And again, they've got quite complicated language. But I think if they're read aloud in a lively way, like we were saying before, you know, um, then there's definitely a place to well, my last question that I've got down here is basically to ask whether, I mean, you're obviously going to have influenced an awful lot of children uh, in their childhoods and indeed their parents. But what influenced you? What were your favourite books when you were a child? 
Oh, so many. Well, I did love those William books and I swapped them with my friend. You know, there were so many of them. I used to go to secondhand bookshops and buy them. I loved E. Nesbitt, as, um, you know, who wrote The Railway Children and Five Children. And it. I loved The Borrowers, um, which is all about scale, you know, the scale difference between these little people who lived on the floorboards and they would have a postage stamp for us would be a a big portrait on the wall of the Queen for them. And I think that's influenced me a lot because I've written books about like the smartest downtown town about the scale difference. I wanted to ask you, I was thinking about people who are authors and illustrators. So a few come to mind like Judith Kerr, Beatrice Potter, and then there are illustrators like Axel Scheffler, who you work with, who's who's wonderful, who also does his writes his own books as well, or Quentin Blake illustrates Roald Dahl, also writes his own books, but they're more well known for working with Roald Dahl or working with you in Axel's case. Yeah, well, I think Axel, actually, the books which say just by Axel Scheffler, they're not actually written by him, they're written in-house, you know, by the publisher. Uh, oh, I see, I see. But but, well, but but you're right, there are lots of brilliant also illustrators. Well, who do you think does it does both well? I think, well, my favourite who does both is Raymond Briggs, who did... Um, not just a snowman, but Father Christmas. And there's a wonderful book for slightly older ones called Man, about a boy who discovers this grumpy little naked man and has to look after him. There are so many, actually. Are, you know, when I was doing this course, I realised there are an awful lot of people who can do both. But I think also there are quite a lot of illustrators who don't write so well. And what sometimes happens is that an illustrator talks to the publisher and they perhaps they've gone a wonderful hippo and the publisher says, can you think of a good story about this hippo? I'll maybe help you a bit. And they come up with some story about this hippo. And you think, hang on, if I read that story without the pictures, if I was a publisher, I would never accept it. So I think there are lots of rather weak author-illustrator books. And I think it would be better. And this, in a way, is what my course is about. If there were more people who could write really good stories and could be teamed up with illustrators. So maybe that'll happen. They'll probably oust me. They'll probably do, you know, follow my course and then eclipse me. So, Who do you think might eclipse you? Are, are there writers now that you think they are really great, maybe from non-traditional areas? Well, I, I mean, those books, those oi, oi book, oi frog, oi, they're very funny, you know. Yeah. Um, but... You know, I think these all these books, they don't actually have the clips so they can sit alongside each other. And that there is such a variety in what a picture book be. And this is what I've said in the first I suppose lesson. I'm thinking new, new writers, who would you point people to? to think You might not have heard of them, but actually, check out. No, I can't. I, sorry, I just can't think of hand of anyone. I'm sure there are, you know, I'm sure there are some, but... Um, those oi, oi books. Yeah. And actually, Kes Gray was writing a long time ago, but they've they've become popular. I think there's lot there's always lots of books about bums and farts and things that uh, you know coming out all the time, and uh, children seem to love those. Is that yeah. your writing desk behind you? No, actually, the de- the table behind me has a cloth on it, which is made from the fabric. Axel um, designed for an illustration in Charlie Cook. Charlie Cook's favourite book, Charlie Cook sitting in an armchair with this 
pattern of parrots and things on it. And a few years ago, there was an exhibition of our books in London, and there was a room created just to be like Charlie Cook's room. And so they made this armchair, and they had a lot of fabric left. So I got lengths of this fabric blinds as well that you can't see it. No, that's really that. That's a table that gets things stacked up on it. Now I've got that's one, of those. <laughs> We've got one of those. Is your desk quite the desk that you write at? Is that quite cluttered, or do you have particular emblematic things on it? <laughs> like, yeah. I suppose I'm just being nosy now. I have got actually a couple of nibs. I'm going to show off. Uh, um, I've won two nibbies. Oh, the lovely. So they're there. Yes. They're massive. Uh, they're almost like artillery shells. <laughs> yes. They, um, <laughs> no, otherwise, it's just things like sellotape. <laughs> Mind you, it's good you don't put all the awards on the table because there's been quite a few, haven't there? Let's be honest. Yeah, most of them in the cupboard, actually. They're all the misshapen bits of glass and things. Yes. Yeah, I know. They're so breakable. you got to be careful. <laughs> well, I did. I broke the Blue Peter Award. No! When I was a ship and then... When I asked, uh, you know, if um, they just broke going home on the underground, and I said, could I possibly have a replacement? And they said, yes, if I paid them £450 or something. Wow. So then I had to just find a glass person who to mend it for me. Then you got some double-sided sticky tape and... So, yeah, <laughs> Oh, get it on the get it on the repair shop. That would be a great episode. Oh, that's true. Yeah, well, maybe I'll do it because it actually then it then it spontaneously combusted a few years later, and that's going to do. Okay. Yeah, oh. there you go. So they they scoop you up. They scoop you up. Oh, I have um my kind of probably quite a silly question to ask you. Do you have a favourite writing implement, like a favourite pen or a pencil that you do oh, all this with? Really, I've got some. This is quite a nice kookaburra that I got oh. in um, Australia. That's quite nice. But no, that, I that's a pencil, a pencil with a kookaburra on the end. Yes, a kookaburra on the end. But mainly I'm, I'm just writing in my head. You know, for a long time before I put pen to paper, I'm mulling over the storyline and in my in my head when I'm out for a walk or when I'm in a bus. So it's not all pen and paper or, or keyboard. Going back to your course, so there are lots of things you're facilitating, giving people good advice of what to do. Are there any things that you wish people would do less of or would not do? (laughs) Well, I've said already about rhyme. I think when people just write, the first thing comes into their head and then find something miscellaneous to rhyme with it and go on and on like that, you know, that's one thing. The other thing is I think people don't realise that you don't normally submit a picture book with pictures, you know, if you're if you're a writer, you don't normally get your next door neighbour who's maybe won the art prize at school to you know to send the pictures in. And so many people, you know, not surprisingly, they think that's what you do. But actually, you know, if the publisher likes your text, then they will. They've got a whole stable of professional illustrators, okay. and also where the text is, there's a whole art to the pagination of the book and, and it is a certain number of pages. So I've, I've gone, I go through all that in the course actually. You don't have to submit it ready paginated, but it's quite a good idea to have that you know, in your head as, so you don't write reams and reams or so it's not too short or too I suppose long. that's a good reminder that the text has to stand on its own. Yes. Completely separate from the illustrations. 
Yes, and that's the other thing. You shouldn't really write reams of illustration notes. You know, you shouldn't say, oh, I want the witch to have this sort of nose. or the... If it's in the text, obviously the illustrator's got to follow what you said, but really that's their art, their skill. And sometimes, obviously, I have to put an illustration note in, like if there's an imaginary friend, and if the text says so-and-so shared their bedroom with Bert, and Bert is an imaginary friend, you have to say that, otherwise the illustrator might put Bert. The best children's books do also work as audiobooks because, you know, words have all the best pictures, as the old saying goes. And yes. uh, there's no there's no reason why they can't work as audiobooks, uh, but the words have got to be right in the first place. And I once did an interview for, um, with the radio for the blind, or, or perhaps it was just a blind interviewer, and he got quite... He got quite steamed up about the picture. He said, why do you have pictures in your book? Isn't that destroying children's imagination? And he was blind, and so he would just imagine the way things would look. But I think that's taking it a bit far. I, it, to my mind, the pictures are like a child's first art gallery. You know, they're all these different styles, and some of them are wonderful artists, and very varied again. But when they get, I think older books, I quite like not having illustrations. I remember my mother once saying to me, for Christmas she wanted a non-illustrated hardback of Pride and Prejudice because she knew how she wanted Elizabeth Bennett, but she didn't want to see someone else's picture. Mm. Really hard to find one, find a, a non-illustrated one. So when I think of your writing, I immediately start singing, you know, wise old man, will you help me please? Or else I think of, you know, look me up and down. I'm the smartest giant in town. Yeah. What's the favourite kind of line or couplet or rhyme that you've written in all your books? Well, talking about singing, actually, I've just recorded a lot of songs for a new songbook of songs based on my books. And so my favourite one is the Scarecrow's wedding song. It's not that the words are specific, but it just goes... It's a scarecrow's wedding. Da, 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 da. That's a very happy song with a nice lilting tune. Nice. Nice. But I have to say the vast majority of the comments we got were just people telling us how much they love your books, how much their children okay. love your books, how much their grandchildren love your books. Oh, uh, it was an absolute avalanche, a tsunami of we love Julia Donaldson. So um, I'll give you one last one. This is going back to Karen, the teacher in the Chalfonts and Giles Primary School. She ended by saying, thank you for all the joy you've given me and my children. Oh, that's lovely. Thank, thank you. you very much for coming on We'd Like a Word. Julia Donaldson. Thanks, thanks a lot. Julia Donaldson. I'm still a little bit in shock that we have Julia Donaldson on We'd Like a Word. It is quite good, isn't it? It is, it is pretty good. I mean, that almost makes us legitimate. Yeah, almost, almost does. Have well, we made we, it? We almost won an award, and now we're almost legitimate. Yeah, maybe she's almost made it. Yeah, true. Yeah, she's had the the glory of being on this illustrious <laughs> podcast, which is good news for you, Ted, because that means you've almost made it too, yeah, just like Julia. Serve on her glory. Serve yeah. on her glory. Yeah. But as well as being a children's author and children's illustrator, a bit earlier. In, on your journey than Julia, right enough. Although, any publishers, agents listening, snap them up quick before it's too late. You had this other career in the movies. So tell us some good old hot, dirty, juicy gossip from that <laughs> about indiscretions of people you've worked with or behind the scenes. 
I know you've got a good Brian Blessed story. Yeah, so Brian Blessed, who did he play in the Pirates? Brian Blessed played the Pirate King in The Pirates and an Adventurous Scientist. What was he like? Um, well, I only, I, the crew only met him uh, the once, obviously, when you're doing a, an animated film like an Aardman film, the actors go and record the voices and you very rarely see the actors when they come in. Actually, Hugh Grant, who was in the film, he did come in and all the, all, all the ladies on the crew got really excited. But the day that Brian Blessed came in, we didn't know. And uh, Peter Lord, the director, got everybody in the canteen, uh, everybody working on the movie in the canteen and said, um, we finished the puppet for the Pirate King. And we'd love to introduce you, you, you all to him because such a, a, a great puppet. So what we're going to do is we're going to go and get the puppet. We'll bring him in and we'd all like you to sort of say, hello, Pirate King, and, and uh, hopefully he'll respond. And of course, we all thought this was rather odd and a bit. no one really knew what was going on. And then the uh, director leaves the room and comes back with the puppet, followed by Brian Blessed. Brian Blessed walks into the middle of the Yardman canteen and just sort of bellows, hello, pirates! You know, and the whole of 200 plus people in the canteen all replied with, hello, Pirate King. And it went from there and he proceeded to give us a sort of 20, 30 minute. He's a raconteur, he's a tin Yeah, toy. yeah exa- I, I exactly. Mean, I've, I've worked with Brian a number of times. You just press the on switch and just let him run. It's, it's just extraordinary. It was just absolutely one of, the, one of the most exciting moments of my career is being a big Brian Blessed fan. But it was, it was, he was so funny and I've never seen people laughing so much i remember when i was young i remember captain scarlet on the television like you worked on the remake of captain scarlet i suppose the updated version there were a couple of steve wrote some scripts for it for series three unfortunately only two series one and series two were made story of my life i know one of the things about this series that people who did watch it it was on where would people have seen it so it's actually on Netflix at the moment, or maybe it's on Amazon Prime. I'm not quite sure. I've just advertised both of those. Awfully sorry about that. Um, That's okay. It's not the BBC. Um, it's if, if anyone still re- hadn't worked that out by now. It was originally on Saturday morning, the Saturday morning sort of Saturday uh, morning ITV, children's TV and children's ITV. TV. Okay, well, it was a really bad slot, wasn't it? Because they it was it was an Anton Deck show. It was on, and Cat Dealey was on it as well. And they broke the episodes into like ten minute chunks, didn't they? It was it was a very clumsy. Yeah, Edit. it was a real shame. Um, and then they didn't show the credits at the end, so the crew were kind so of... So we didn't get to see Ted's name. But <sighs> the, the thing I was going to ask you about is, if for anyone who was following it, Captain Scarlet kind of changed. He changed yeah. during the series. He, it was as if the actor playing Captain Scarlet died and was replaced by somebody else, and everyone pretended they hadn't noticed. Well, the, the original... The first models that we made were from clay sculpts and then they were 3D scanned and we digitised them because um, it was a full CGI show. And then the first two episodes, which were the pilots, Captain Scarlet looks kind of a little bit mangled in those, not like the original puppet in the series. And uh, they asked me to see what I could do with that. So I rebuilt the head. I worked from actually the original cast for the original puppet and tried to match the look and feel of that much more to try and bring the the real look and feel of the original puppet into the CGI version, uh, which is in the episodes from sort of episode three onwards, really. So that's the explanation. Mm. The, the questions that have been bothering young viewers all these years. It was a shame, though, because it, it deserved to do better. Now, I mean, I, I know, I mean, it'll be no secret to anyone listening in who's a Jerry Anderson fan that Jerry Anderson was a bit of an awkward 
chap to work for. And I know there was a little bit of um, conflict between Jerry and some of the other people involved in it, but it deserved to do better. It deserved to do better than it did. And I think a lot of that was to do with the time slot it got and the fact it was broken up so much because people love Ant and Deck. And what was happening is to say, right, well, that's the end of part one. Uh, now have a little bit of Captain Scarlet for 10 minutes and we'll be back shortly. So that's when kids went off to the toilet or people made a cup of tea or they got some juice and things. And I think a lot of people missed it. That was the sad thing. It was almost treated like a commercial break. It was originally intended for that sort of six o'clock evening slot Absolutely, for families. Yeah. Um, yeah. The Doctor Who slot, essentially. Yeah. That, that, that would have been the perfect thing for it. You've lived some of the life I want to live. Because there's a company I would love to work for. It's Ardman. And if there's someone I'd like, really like to meet and sit down and have a chat with, it's Andy Circus, Because he has gone from being an actor to actually quite an innovator, hasn't he, in terms of motion capture and body capture and that sort of thing. I mean, that's, that's how we got this utterly realistic appearance of the apes and Planet of the Apes and things like this. I mean, that must have been an extraordinary thing to work for. Yeah, it, it, it was. I mean, Andy sort of led the way in that field and the transition of, or the, the interpretation from acting Really, he's really champion, champion, and the the technique, and because he's such a fantastic actor, it comes across in the characters that he portrays, whether they're digital or or in in real life. Well, some people might remember that he played Ian Dury in in the in the biopic of, of Ian Dury and did an amazing job. Plus, of course, he was the he was a South African arms dealer, wasn't he? In one of the Marvel in Black Panther. In Black Panther. That's right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he is a very good actor. I did wonder at the time whether he was almost changing sides a little bit because there's been a lot of fear in Hollywood about CGI taking jobs. I mean, certainly stunt men and stunt women have been up in arms for a long time that they've lost a lot of their work because it's a lot cheaper to throw an animated person off a roof than is a real person in terms of insurance and things. And I know people like Tom Hanks have expressed a worry that the actors will be replaced by CGI. And I think, was it John Laster? I think said that he reckoned in his lifetime there'll be a new film starring Marilyn Monroe. I mean, and yeah, Andy Serkis seems to have bridging the gap because I think you still need an actor's performance, don't you? Yeah, the key thing is the performance. It's still incredibly hard to create. We're sort of still at the infancy of these digital doubles and, and um, incredible performing CGI characters. Um, standouts recently would be the Hulk in Avengers 3. What a wonderful job by the guys that did that. Really, really believable on screen you don't think of it as him you know the hulk in those scenes in the in the i think they're in a canteen or a diner you don't think of him anymore as a cg character he's just the hulk you know he's believable um and that's a great testament to the work that's done there because it's a it's incredibly hard that's clearly why you got out of it and you're (laughs) writing children's books instead because mark ruffalo rhymes a gruffalo (laughs) (laughs) well i can imagine you're furry sloth-like creature being on in film someday but we're coming towards the end of this episode so there's a very important question i have to ask you as you're both author and artist steve can maybe guess what question i'm about to ask it's going to be that question is it i'm going out the room do you have a favorite pencil or possibly pen certainly do and i love faber castell pencils you see steve he's got a favorite pencil they are nice pencils i've got some of those Look at that. I thought, um, almost thought you were going to say, I don't use pencils, I use computers. Interestingly, computer. in one of the there's a Sherlock Holmes story where he even mentions the original Faber pencils as one of the clues. I can't remember which Sherlock Holmes story it is, but they've been around for a long time and they're incredibly well made. 
Do you think we could get sponsorship here? Maybe for the first time, we never got it from um, those biscuits that we used to eat, but we no, don't we don't beer, eat them the anymore. No, 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 no beer or biscuits, but Faber pencil, mm, lovely, it looks lovely. Endorsed by Ted Chaplin. Don't forget our competition. What was the secret code name? Project Blank. Five letters, good clue, for Indiana Jones and the Crystal Skull that Indiana Jones for. So get in touch. How can people contact us? Well, you can get in contact us on virtually every kind of social media where we are at Wed Like a Word, because as we're so keen to point out, we couldn't have an apostrophe in the name. So it's Wed Like a Word. Or you can get us on email. Oh, yeah, he's looking at me now, which is wed like a word at gmail.com. It is. Wed like a word at gmail.com. And we have a website. We do, which is www.wedlikeaword.com. And on that website, you'll find details of Ted and his work. You'll also find details of, or a link anyway, to Julia Donaldson's course, if you're an aspiring writer, and hopefully some of this has been useful. Will it mention your latest novel as well? It might mention my latest novel. Which Bla- is called? Which is called Blackwater Town. It's very good. Blackwater Town. By me, Paul Waters. And what about, what about your latest well, one, seeing it, as you mention it? Give it another month and I'll be advertising my new one because it's not out until August 19th. Yeah, but by the time people listen to this... Now, your book is called... Well, it's called Corrings. But it's spelt C-O-C-K-E-R-I-N-G-S. Which is Cockerings, I know. But it's pronounced Corrings. There is a story behind it. It looks like Cockerings, but it's actually no, pronounced it's like Corrings. Cockerings. Yeah. Yeah, we, we know, we know. Anyway, go to the website and see some of Ted's fabulous illustrations and pictures. They are really genuine. If, if you don't believe anything else on today's episode, his illustrations are fabulous. I don't you should believe definitely. Your yeah, it's hard to believe it myself some days. Anyway, thank you very much for listening to this episode of We'd Like a Word with me, Paul Waters. So you say. And Steve Colgan. And Julia Donaldson. And. Ted Chaplin. Thank you very much for listening and goodbye. Bye. Bye. Until the next time, you've been listening to We'd Like a Word.